you're telling the story of the whole person and their disability isn't their whole identity. And it's not the only thing that's interesting about them or compelling about them. Tell the story of the person. We are all interesting people. We're all more than what we can or can't do. Hey, welcome to the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast here on the Bee Podcast Network. This is a show dedicated to helping higher ed marketers tell better stories, create better content, and enroll more students. My name's John Azoni. I'm the founder at Unveiled, and we're a video production company working specifically with college marketing teams to make it easy for them to scale up and even automate their student and alumni success stories through our subscription approach. And you can learn more about that at unveiled.tv, and that's U-N-V-E-I. LD.TV. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, uh, go ahead and subscribe. We'd love to have you. And if you're wanting your college and university's content to resonate on a deeper emotional level with prospective students, with alumni, with parents, whatever, I want you to subscribe to my free newsletter. Every week I send out tips and insights on creating more emotionally resonant content, including examples and best practices from other institutions, articles and blog posts, that week's podcast episode, and much more. So head over to unveiled.tv slash newsletter and sign up. All right, let's get on with the show. My guest today is Jamie Hunt. Jamie is a seasoned vice president and chief marketing officer currently serving at Old Dominion University in coastal Virginia with a career spanning nearly two decades. Uh, Jamie's expertise encompasses a wide range of areas, including brand strategy, recruitment, marketing, internal and crisis communications, issues, management, digital innovation and media relations. Uh, Jamie is also the host of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO on the Enrollify Network. Today, we're talking about uh, something I think is really special and, and that is uh, that is telling the stories of our students with uh, disabilities and why that's so important. So, Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So let's start off by uh, having you tell us something people would be surprised to know about you. So um, I thought a little bit about what would this be because I'm fairly an open book, but my original college major was biology, and I intended to become a turtle researcher. And uh, really? my parents made me look through the want ads and find all the turtle-related jobs that were in them, and there were zero. <laughs> so I had to change. I changed my major, went into journalism. Haven't looked back. But um, a lot of people, I think, think of marketing people as being more. Um, the creatives and not really, they don't really think about the science of marketing. And one of the things I really love about marketing is it blends art and science, which are two things that I'm really passionate about. So, so that is, that's my thing. Probably if people have been following me for a while, they know about the turtle thing. Literally my license plate is for turtles. So if you're following me on the highway, you know that I love turtles, but just in <laughs> case there's listeners who don't know about my obsession. Interesting. Are you a fan of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Or is oh, that, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. And the latest <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie is amazing. It is really good. I saw it. I used to be a big fan when I was a kid, obviously had the action figures and everything, but it'd been like a long time since I had been part of, you know, I'd like caught up on the franchise or anything like that. <laughs> but uh, we took our kids to see to see it. And it was really it was cool. It was like nostalgia. Yeah, it's super cute. I didn't go in on those like 
Navy SEAL looking Ninja Turtle movies that they had for a while. I'm like, they're teenagers. But I thought that yeah. one really made them, like they had braces. Like, who? Yeah. Where, where is the turtle going to the dentist to get braces? <laughs> Those are just the creative license. They 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 expect to just kind of go over your head. Most people's right. head, except we're, we pay attention to that stuff. <laughs> um, all right. So we're talking about telling stories of people with um, disabilities. So this is a cool topic. I was excited when you and I chatted. Um, uh, last week about about this. And uh, so tell us about uh, why is this an important topic for you? Well, I, I just think that we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion in higher education. And a lot of times I think we focus in on that being primarily racial or eth ethnicity. And for me, I think about about one in four of our students reports having a disability. And that is 25% of mm -hmm. the folks on our campus having some sort of disability. And we're not having those conversations. Um, we're not having the conversations about how we can better support them and encourage them, help them to see how they can thrive at our institutions. I was looking at some statistics this morning that um, really look at what the rate is of those students dropping out um, and actually like accomplishing their degree. And it's like, Less than 40%, I think, um, according mm. to um, the beginning post-secondary students longitudinal study, which is a mouthful, but 23% of undergraduate students reported a disability or who reported a disability actually earned a degree in five years. Wow. Yeah. So I think that if you want to look at just a business case for supporting students with disabilities right there, you know, if you can move the needle a little bit on that. Um, or a lot bit on that, suddenly you're having a big impact on your graduation rates. Um, right. But I mean, hopefully people listening also understand a moral imperative to do things in a way that um, supports everyone and to look at diversity and inclusion as being something that doesn't need a business purpose, but mm -hmm. there definitely is a business purpose for supporting students with disabilities. So I'm, I'm really passionate about this. I have an invisible disability. Um, I am aware of a lot of people in my life who have both visible and invisible disabilities. And I, I think there's a personal passion for it um, for me that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, I love what you said about, um, you know, diversity isn't just, you know, racial or gender diversity, but, um, you know, it's, it's all of it. It's all of like, you know, there are so many different types of people in the world with different hurdles and things like that. And that's what, you know, diversity inclusion is, is really about. It's not just like getting the right mix of, uh, you know, races in our content or, you know, religious affiliation, but it's, it's, it's all of it. And, uh, yeah, I would think like, you know, you said, you mentioned having invisible disability. I, I have one as well. And, um, I would argue that like on some level, probably everybody has something <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah well and like the sheer number of adults that are figuring out in adulthood that they are on the autism spectrum or they have ADHD or some other form of um neurodiversity mm -hmm. I, I suspect the number is way way higher than even we think it is and when you think about it's 25% that report having a disability. Right. I mean, 
that means there's probably tons of people who aren't reporting it. Or, you know, like in the case of my um, disability, it doesn't impact me every single day. And so that makes it a little bit easier for me to forget to report it, if that makes sense. Um, Because I don't currently need accommodations for it. I have it at other points in my life. Um, And so if you don't need accommodations for your disability, or if there's a stigma attached to whatever that disability is, um, I think then you're less likely to report that. But that's based on, you know, my gut instinct and not any sort of science. But I I know that for me, reporting my disability um, was a, there was like a moment of, no, but you're able, right? Mm -hmm. But no, you have this real thing that can sometimes limit you a little bit. Yeah. I remember the first time I, I reported uh, my mental health stuff. I was uh, a long time ago, I was applying for, for a job and it, they were like, do you have a disability? Like, uh, you know, and I'm like, really had to think about like, do I disc, is it really a disability? Like, do I disclose right. that? It, is it going to affect, you know, how they, are they going to make all sorts of assumptions about me? You know? Yeah. So yeah, it's just very, it's like a very real thing and yeah 25 percent. and i think like you know a, a lot of times so like i you know i'll update my website and people you know have different like if you're in like e-commerce or something like the alt te- alt text and all that kind of stuff is like is there and for me i, I it's so tempting to be like ah uh, that's an afterthought like i i'm like dr- i'm like so dr- driven to like get whatever the basic thing is up and live that i'm like i'll i'll just type in some some random stuff. I've like lately been really, um, really focused on that. I have a, uh, an assistant that actually has started helping me like kind of go back and do all the alt text like properly. Um, but I think, I mean, it's just sort of like a symptom of like, we don't think about it and we're kind of like, well, how many blind people really do I know? You know? <laughs> right. right. Uh, when I was at a previous institution, there was a blind faculty member that would call our help desk anytime somebody sent an email where it was just a JPEG with no alt text and no accompanying text. And she would have them read it. And then they would call me because I was this passionate guru for this. And then I went and created a policy and got it through our cabinet and through our board that required that we couldn't you had to have alt text. You know, this is, mm-hmm. we everybody knew better. This is like 2010, but people weren't as, I think, conscious of it. And then anytime one came through, I saw it as an opportunity for me to do an educational moment. Um, mm-hmm. But that faculty member would call every single time. So mm. if you, even if you just have one person on your campus who isn't getting your messages because you're sending them as an image that they can't read, that's one human being that is feeling left out and feeling uh, uninformed and may not know some critical piece of information and right one should be enough to do it the right way yeah i used to work in a call center um at uh at united way and we had um you were a two one one it was like you call for like information referral resources um, and I, every time I come across an opportunity to include alt text, I think of my coworker, Rhonda, um, who had, uh, I forget what her disabilities was. She was in a wheelchair, had some mobility issues, but also, um, she had like, it would like read everything to her. Mm-hmm. And I was always just so amazed. I'm like, 
I can't believe like you've figured out a way to uh, to like navigate an entire database of health and human service resources, um, working around the struggles that you have. But I always think about like, could Rhonda um, read this picture? Like, would yeah. she know? Should, could she read this email and know know what this was about or or this web page or whatever? So that's always stuck with me. The hardest thing is is charts. Like, how do you translate a chart? Um, with the alt text, but, and you need to try, um, and you need to do it, but images, that's, that's not that difficult. Just describe what the image is, right. you know? Yeah, for sure. Low hanging fruit. Um, so you talked about how this kind of be, became a focus for you. Was there kind of a turning point where, uh, it sounds like you've kind of always kind of had this, um, this passion, but was there a, a turning point where you started to get more serious about talking about, you know, this issue and teaching people about it? Yeah. Uh, so honestly, that faculty member, um, that was when I was at Radford University. I was talking to that faculty member um, and having, developing a sense of what her challenges were and how just this simple thing was impacting her um, that I suddenly kind of realized that if I'm not seeing anybody advocate for that for this person, then I need to be advocating for her. And you can lead from wherever you are. I wasn't a vice president in that role. Um, use your influence to try to get the things done and to you know have this policy that's drafted and and put into practice and and all of that. Um, and it was in part because she talked about how frustrated she was to be missing critical information. And she had to assume that every single email that didn't have content in it, but there was a potential that one of those could be, hey, you need to enroll in benefits by the end of the month or, right. you know, what fill in the blank. Um, and so having that conversation was a big tipping point. Um, and that's when, you know, we installed kiosks all over campus. That was my job there. That job had a lot of different kind of crazy components, but wayfinding kiosks were part of my responsibility. And I worked with a company to make Braille um, signs for those that would direct people um, to be able to contact someone if they needed to use some of the services that were on the kiosk. Um, mm. And like I said, people knew when they'd get an email from me saying, hey, you're sending this out in a really inaccessible way. What can we do? But then I needed to have a moment of realizing not only do I need to advocate for students with disabilities or, or our campus community in general with disabilities, but I also need to do a better job of telling their stories. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that was something that takes a little bit more effort to figure out how to do in a way that doesn't tokenize people. Right. Um, but that, that piece is really important to me. Yeah, the tokenized thing that's that's something that it's a really fine line to be like i had a student i was interviewing for our college where we were doing a video on her and she was had a great sense of humor she was super funny um and she was african-american and she's like you know before we started rolling she's like i know why they picked me because i'm black you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's yeah. kind of like it was funny but it's like you don't want to make someone with yeah. disability actually feel that way <laughs> right 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 this is like our our you know, token person in a wheelchair or whatever. Right. That said, though, I have a stack of view books on my desk right now, like other schools view books. I'm willing to bet that I find zero pictures of someone in a wheelchair or with an assistive device, uh, mm -hmm. a cane, 
you know, a seeing oh, eye yeah. dog, a service dog. Uh, we just don't include people right. in our checking of the boxes for how diverse our materials look. That's yeah. one population that is just, I feel like, incredibly invisible to us as marketers and we're not thinking about enough. And that's yeah. just that's just really sad. Yeah, and, and diversity is constantly uh, brought up in meetings about like pre-production for videos or planning marketing campaigns. It's always, always, I, I can't think of a project where we, that diversity wasn't something of importance that we had to consider as we were going about you know, you know, the video making process. And what, what really, um, one thing that really like changed me, I was casting for, I worked for a pre previous production company, we were casting for a, um, uh, a commercial uh, or something about, I think it was about vaccines or something like that. And uh, posted on Facebook and uh, about it, like, hey, we're casting kids, you know, to, to be in this video. And my friend reached out to me privately and she was like, hey, her, her son, has um uh, down syndrome and she's like you really need to think about like diversity being you know also like neurodiversity like have you considered diversity beyond just you know skin color and things like that and i think about that all the time now like when i'm like what would it look like because we always try to like there's some weird thing with like front-facing marketing where it's like well let's find the ideal specimen of a person let's yes. find people who yes. are ne attractive and represent the t the look that we want um and and we need to but we really need to like expand beyond that and think like there's there's so many people that are looking at your piece of content and going can i see myself in that um and if all we're doing is just limiting it to this very narrow profile uh, of what you know beauty is or or whatever then we're missing so many people Oh, absolutely. I, I remember um, working with another vice president, not mine, but another vice president at Radford who very much wanted me to only do attractive people. So when I had a photo for the homepage that had a girl that was possibly not conventionally attractive, um, mm -hmm. In his opinion, you know, he's like, we really need to focus on just the good looking kids. Like, mm. that's just so icky. <laughs> you know? It is. It's rampant in churches, too. Like, even even in churches, like these, a lot of these mega churches, I, I know a lot of the staff that have worked at these places. Um, and that's just a th common thing. Let's put all the pretty people in the front, you know, five rows. Oh, and gosh. it's just like, that's what icky. are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> especially at a church. <laughs> like that's super <laughs> icky. I don't love that. I know. Seriously, yeah. So, anyway, um, but yeah, those are those are uh, good thoughts. I wanted to ask, like, so as marketers, you know, when we're thinking about these things, like we often think about, like, when we think about prospective students, we're often thinking about, like, how what questions are they asking, what problems are they having, and we think about, you know, the obvious things would be like, okay, what's they might be wondering what this, what's the academic experience like, what's campus life like, will I fit in. Uh, what does it cost? Like those kind of those kind of like basic things. But like from your perspective, talk about like what are some concerns that students with disabilities might be wondering about that we might not be thinking about as content creators? Yeah. So at the AMA conference in 2022, there was a panel discussion with a group of 
I think they were all rising seniors. Oh, they were seniors because it was mm -hmm. in their senior year. And they were talking about, you know, what were they were looking for in a college and et cetera, et cetera. And I think there was maybe eight or 10 students. And several of them mentioned specifically looking for information uh, as it related to their disability. So one was low vision, and I believe she used a, a cane. Um, and she said that she, if it took her more than three clicks to try to find information about um, reasonable accommodations and all of that, then she just went off the website and marked that one off her list. Um, mm. And another student who had some mobility challenges said that she did those like Google Street View tours and campus tours as much as she could to try to figure out, is are there going to be a lot of elevation changes on campus? Um, am I going to have any challenges accessing buildings if I'm on crutches or whatever? Um, so they were looking for how navigable is the campus? And then that first student I mentioned was looking for how navigable it are the resources um, for us to be able to get the, the support that we need as a student with disabilities. Um, so I think it's really those basic things. How can I do what I need to do as a student here, mm -hmm. whether it's online or on campus? Um, have you stuck your disabilities office in some dark corner? Um, I was on a campus once where I was like, you have to take steps down to get into the disability office and there isn't an elevator. Like this makes no sense. Like why, Yeah. how is this going to work? Um, but you know, how much resources are you putting towards supporting the students? We also hear a lot from students who are looking specifically for mental health um, information. And I know that's something that you had mentioned. Um, and that's something I think is really, really important to students that we have resources um, to be able to continue their care if they need it from a mental health perspective? Or are we a culture where the faculty are going to embrace and accept those reasonable accommodations that they're asked for? And how can we showcase in our marketing that we are that kind of place? Yeah. Um, there's just a lot, a lot of layers there. Josie Alquist has a recent uh, episode on her podcast, Josie and the Podcast, just came out the other day. Um, and it's with um, Rachel Putman, um, who I forget what school she she works for, but she she was talking about how um, she works with her students, uh, you know, on campus and building these like sort of student marketing teams. And one of the things they did was an Instagram campaign where they posted like a story or something where you can kind of like type in a response or like slide the the slider to the happy face or the sad face. And and it was really just like, how are you doing? Yeah. And, and people would slide it. And if anyone sl slid it towards the sad face, they would like directly follow up with that person and make sure that they had um, access to, you know, mental health resources or whatever. And I just thought that was so cool to like, yeah. like when your social media team is not just, you're not just about getting likes and uh, these vanity metrics and engagement and stuff like that but like taking the students that are already there how, how can you use social media to actually improve their lives and give them a place to say hey i'm not i'm not okay today yeah you know and i just thought that was a really cool campaign idea i love that i love that and i think we have so many students that are really struggling with anxiety and mental health challenges and i i don't have the statistic in front of me, but at AMA this past year, um, we had a speaker in the senior leadership portion talking about, I want to say it was something like over 30% of 
um, adults between 18 and 24 say that they have had many days where they don't feel able to function because mm -hmm. of their mental health. And it's like, that's just sad. And, and it's a reality. Like you can't just tell somebody don't be sad. Like you I can't. wish that worked. <laughs> that yeah. doesn't work. Anyone that says that has never experienced any mental health crisis. It's, it's, yeah. You would have to know to know, you know? Right, that. <laughs> right, right. It's like, uh, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, yeah I, th I think I think about that uh, often sometimes. It's like, you know, when you're when you have a friend or a, a spouse or a family member that's dealing with um, mental health, it's like they can't just think differently. You no. know, you can't think your way out of a mental health crisis. No, no, you can't. <laughs> and I, I'm um, a big believer in therapy and I'm a big believer in meditation. And I think meditation can help reduce stress and anxiety levels. But um, it's not a magic bullet and it's not something that doesn't take a ton of practice to mm -hmm. get good at. Um, I, I started doing meditation because um, I was a, a chronic pain sufferer and I was able to meditate to um, alleviate pain. And it's so helpful if you're at the doctor's office because you sprained your ankle to be able to like, meditate and not necessarily feel the pain for a little bit. But, you know, that's a ton of practice to get to that point. Oh, yeah. You can't just be like, okay, just go, um, and now you're happy. It worked. Awesome. You're fine. Right. It takes a lot of practice. I used to see um, a, a therapist who is a uh, uh, big anxiety uh, meditation kind of influencer. Um, and she runs these meditation uh, sessions. And she was telling me, she's like, we have people who are undergoing like literal surgery who are using meditation instead of anesthesia. Wow. <laughs> and she's That's like she's amazing. like she's like working with these people to do like these breathing and, and hypnosis exercises and uh it's just really interesting how how effective that is and that's something that i think it's a tool that that needs to be taught and it's something that people have to practice because it's it's probably like people would probably just bounce from that, that activity so easily when they sit down to meditate and they can't focus for the first yeah. couple times and they think about other things and they go, I didn't get anything out of that. But like, what would it look like for a school, uh, you know, to be like, Hey, while you're here on campus, we're going to teach you these tools, you know, as well to kind of get through, you know, daily life and things like that. The first university I worked for Northwestern health sciences university, it had a lot of alternative medicine programs and we had wellness programs that were geared toward, that topic, like how do you, how can you meditate to reduce stress? That's where I was first introduced to the concept of being able to meditate for pain relief. Um, at, you know, they had all sorts of wellness workshops mm -hmm. and yoga workshops and all you know, cranial psychotherapy workshops and all this stuff. Um, because I think that it's more of, was more of an Eastern medicine type approach, which I think in a lot of ways is a lot more holistic to us as human beings than than uh, Western medicine can be. Yeah. Quick break here to tell you about a thing that all the cool higher ed marketers are doing. They've all subscribed to the Higher Ed Storytellers Digest. It's my weekly email newsletter where I unpack practical tips, insights, and inspiration for creating more emotionally resonant content for their institutions. And guess what? I think you're cool and I want you on the list. 
Past newsletters have featured stuff like the anatomy of viral content. What makes a piece of content spread like wildfire? Also examples of really compelling user generated video content coming out of other institutions and getting a lot of traction on YouTube. We've also talked about how emotional content isn't just being sappy all the time. There's a variety of emotions that your content can speak to that can inspire a prospective student to take the next step with your institution. And so we've unpacked that. We've shared exclusive mini podcast episodes uh, and bonus content that you can't get anywhere else but the newsletter. We've, we've shared workflow tips for using AI to aid in content creation, all kinds of stuff that we unpack in this newsletter. And on more than one occasion, I've treated my entire list to free Starbucks. I make no promises, but just saying, it's been done twice. You'll also stay up to date on the latest episodes from this podcast. So if email is a better way for you to subscribe to a podcast, this is the way. So head over to unveiled.tv slash newsletter and sign up. And when you sign up, you'll be given immediate access to all the previous editions of the newsletter. So you can binge the various topics that we've touched on and links and resources we've shared, all that stuff. So do that unveiled.tv slash newsletter unveiled is spelled U N V E I L D. Okay, back to the show. So shifting gears a little bit, you sent me a couple examples of storytelling. Um, you, you sent me an example of uh, Radford and then um, Old Dominion uh, college tour videos. Uh, let's talk about those a little bit. Like, t tell me how those came about and what are your thoughts about them? Just explain them too. Wait, I, I posted a poll last week on, on LinkedIn about do people actually watch the video of this or do they just listen? And it was like overwhelmingly people listen. So it made me think like, okay, we have to explain these videos. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. So um, the first video, the video with um, at Radford University is a graduation profile. And we showcased these uh, father and son who were graduating. One, the son was illegally blind. I think he had like very slight amount of vision, um, but used a cane. And his dad had um, a heart condition that made exercise um, and, and that sort of thing really difficult for him. And when his son, the son went to college, um, he was having some challenges with navigating campus with a cane, um, which I can't even imagine going through life in that mm -hmm. situation, really. Um, and so his father started going with him and then decided he might as well enroll. He might as well get a degree if he's going to all the same classes. So they would get the same class schedule. And the father wasn't able to really carry his backpack and equipment. Um, and so the son carried his stuff and the father navigated them around campus. And it was just a really beautiful story. And if anybody watched it and didn't cry, they don't have a soul. They, they're clearly <laughs> sociopaths. Um, but that it was a really cool story to be able to show that they thrived. They were going to go to graduate school after completing their, their bachelor's degree. Um, they were just absolutely thrived on campus. And I thought it was really important to show that. Um, it's not just an inspirational story, but it's a story that showcases that, you know, two people who had um, physical challenges were able to make college work and mm -hmm. um, to graduate. And I think they even did it in four years, but I can't swear to that. Yeah. What I noticed about it was like, to, so you think like someone who's blind and is, is walking with a cane, um, when you think disabilities, that's probably one, maybe one that comes to mind. Um, but like the heart issue 
and he can't even carry his his books like that's a that's one that's probably goes under the radar that i thought that that video did a good job of like uh, you know bringing to light it's like you know what does it look like for someone that physically can't you know get around right and you wouldn't necessarily know it by looking at him it's it's one of those invisible disabilities again where the situation is something that you as a casual observer wouldn't know that he had that challenge Um, Mm -hmm. so that was great um the other example that i sent to you was actually one of a couple that we had in our college tour so we, we are working with the college tour to have a 30 minute episode um that actually we just got live last week um and we showcased actually two students that dealt with disabilities during their time. So there was 10 total students profiled and two of them specifically spoke about their um, their disabilities uh, in their video. The first is the ep- the part of the episode that opens the, the full episode. Um, and she talks about the mental health issues that she has and how she got support for that on our campus. And um, the second person was somebody who was a disabled veteran who was taking advantage of the um, resources available to him as a veteran um, and as a disabled veteran. Um, and I thought it was really, really important to have those pieces of their stories be in that video, in that episode. Um, it's, you know, having about 20% of the the cast of the episode being people that speak about their disabilities is somewhat almost exactly representative of what our student body looks like in terms of reported disabilities. Um, I also wanted to have somebody who was talking about more of an invisible disability, like the the mental health challenges that that Hadley spoke about, and then um, to have someone who had had some physical disability that that he uh, spoke about in his um, portion of the episode. And I just think that having these stories in there it's just a matter of fact. It's not Disability Awareness Month. It's not, you know, fill in the blank, Autism Awareness Month, whatever. It's just part of the fabric of our episode is that people talk candidly about, you know, their their challenges. And so it was important to me that we consider that as we consider the overall diversity of the episode. And I'm really grateful in the casting process that we had multiple students, and we had some others, in fact, um, that were ultimately weren't selected, but we had a number of students that wished to talk about their disability, that that was part of their story and part mm. of who they are as people. And as someone in my 40s, um, I don't, who's still like not out, I'm putting that in air quotes, but I'm not completely out about my disability with everybody that I encounter. I don't think, I think there's like a stigma attached to it. Um, I'm really grateful that these young people are willing to share their stories Mm -hmm. and that they do so just in such a matter of fact way. Um, Hopefully that inspires another prospective student who's looking at these and saying, okay, so this, this student really seems like she has it together and she's seems to be really thriving. And she talked about the mental health resources. Maybe this is a place for me. Maybe this is a place where I can get the support that I need to get through college the best way that I can. Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that casting process um, oh too? Cause I think when you said that, I was like, oh, I bet that's just an interesting, I, I would just be curious to hear like wh- how you handle that with sensitivity and, and stuff like that. 
Yeah. So um, I tell people, honestly, it's the most stressed I have been at a job in years, <laughs> like years since COVID for sure. Um, so we put out a casting call. I think we had about 44 students apply for 10 spots. And the reason it was kind of stressful is I had to create a matrix that looked at you know, diversity of gender and ethnicity and race, but then make sure we had a representative of undergraduate masters and doctoral mm. and then to make sure we had a representative for every college and then make sure that we had representatives that could speak to disability um, so we asked the students to put together just a little i think we said the, the max length was 90 seconds but a little video shot on your iphone or whatever it did not have to be highly produced um, that where you just told your story like what, what's your ODU story? Mm -hmm. So then, you know, looking at that matrix of, of all these categories we needed to fill, um, then going in and seeing who had really cool stories that we could slot into those spots. Um, we also wanted to have some international students. I think we ended up with um, quite a few international students in it actually. Um, but yeah, it was, it was exhaustive. Um, we, ended up with a wonderful cast usually I've done this twice um we did an episode when I was at Miami University and usually you end up with one person no shows or ghosts yeah. you or doesn't get their script in we had we had none of that everybody was amazing that's great yeah I find in the the stories that that my company tells that people are generally pretty excited to be uh chosen that you were even on the college's radar yeah. Um, but yeah, the whole casting thing that that can be like really stressful when you're managing all those variables. I imagine, I know you're like a AI, um, proponent or whatever. I imagine that would be a good, a good, uh, challenge for AI. Like here's all the transcripts from everyone's submission <laughs> videos and here are all the variables. Like, tell me what's missing or who goes where. <laughs> that would have been really smart. It honestly didn't occur to me, but that would have been really smart. I could have had a spreadsheet that was like, this is, tell me who to pick. But there is obviously a human element that AI can't, sure. can't like is the person engaging on camera right is their tone of voice interesting and compelling or are they like nervous and or yeah. dry or whatever fill in the blank but you you, yeah. you learn who the weirdos are on campus too <laughs> like some some submit videos where you're like you let your freak flag fly and i love you for it good yeah. for you that's awesome yeah i think and i think one of the things that that we look for is, and I would I would assume that this applies to you know finding people with disabilities. It's like, how open are they to being vulnerable? Yeah. Um, because what to me, what makes a good story is not just kind of flying over high level. Like, here's here's the problem I was having. Here's how the school helped me, and here's what I'm doing now. Like, that's a good basic structure. But like, there's so much under that iceberg. That's real. Like, whatever's under that is really power. Is like where the meat of the emotion is. And you know, I was working with one college, and we were um, we were pre-interviewing ten or twelve um, uh, people uh, who are all data scientists. So they're all they're all very analytical. And uh, after like the fourth pre-interview, I I went to my client. I was like, Hey, we gotta um, we gotta shift these questions a little bit, like because we're <laughs> these are just they they will be fine videos, but they are very just like to the point analytical, like 
here's the question I asked. Here's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's, that's really something that is, yeah, AI can't really detect like that doesn't have the empathy yet to right. go like is the can is this person going to give me anything more than <laughs> right. what i'm asking <laughs> right when i was a journalist it was you had sometimes ran into people that you'd interview and they'd give you one word answers like that's <sighs> we want people who are going to light up we want people who yeah. are going to you want to listen to cuz their face is just animated and yes. there was a couple people that um were very charismatic that we didn't end up picking because we needed somebody in a more specific category that we've now reached out to them for other projects because it's like you can't take your eyes off of them once they're yeah. on screen. And that's yeah. who you want. Right. Oh, the, the most stressful interview I ever did was this high schooler who was um, giving me one word answers. And it was so stressful because <laughs> I'm already like a pretty introverted guy and I don't I don't like small talk. Like I'm, I'm really bad at it. Like, <laughs> so, I, yeah, me too. <laughs> so, so I'm like, I quickly ran out of steam on like tactics to get him to open up. I ended up having to, thankfully he, he had a mentor with him and I had to interview her to get like the meat of the, the narrative. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, oh, it was so difficult. So stressful. <laughs> I totally feel you on that. And then you're, trying to figure out how am I going to turn this into something like this isn't yeah 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 <laughs> it's tricky yeah um speaking of AI so I incorporate AI into this podcast a little bit so I affectionately uh I had this question list and I put it into Claude and I said you know here's here's what I'm talking to Jamie about today what what would be other questions to ask so here's here's four our final okay. four questions our final three questions uh, that are coming from the robots here. <laughs> All right. I, um, I look forward to the robot overlords. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what biases or misconceptions still exist around disabilities that these stories can help challenge? Mm. I mean, I think that like there's still a lot of stigma around certain illnesses and certain mental health issues and that I think that we get into this mindset sometimes where it's like we don't even want to ask someone to tell their story because we think that they're not going to want to because there's a stigma around what they are mm -hmm. dealing with. And I think that's something we just have to shake loose. And I think once you start telling the stories and see the people, they're, you're not dragging it out of people, right? Like the video that I sent you of Hadley talking about her experience, like she's just talking about it matter of fact. Yeah. I think that can help make others see that maybe don't have a, a mental health disability or any other disability, see that you don't have to be afraid to ask somebody to share their story. Yeah. Because not everybody shares that viewpoint or right. about the stigma. Yeah, that's good. Good answer to that surprise. <laughs> to the robots AI, endorsing. To the robot question. <laughs> the, the robots are applauding right now. Nice. <laughs> um, next question. Have there been any instances in real life or in content you've consumed where your views were challenged about people with disabilities? If so, how did that affect uh, ODU's Marcom strategy in any way? That's an excellent question. I am a donor to special books for special kids which sounds like it's about books, but it's not at all. Um, they produce um, many, many documentaries or many, many 
basically interviews where the the guy who does them sits with someone, uh, many of them with profound physical or mental disabilities. And he ha just has a conversation with them or talks about what they deal with. And that for me, seeing um, how people with profound disabilities light up when they get to tell their story, yeah. when somebody shows an actual interest in them as a human being, and seeing the way that he didn't shy away from asking tricky questions or talking about some of the biggest challenges. That for me was uh, like a tipping point in terms of my ability to see that a lot of times people we're not asking are hungry to tell their story. And I think we as marketers have an opportunity to be the person that shines a light on someone. Mm -hmm. That's what we do in everything we do is shine a light on someone or something. And so I think, you know, telling the stories of people with disability can really, really shine a bright light on what they are and who they, who they are as people. Yeah. And looking beyond just the, this isn't a story about, let's say he's interviewing, you know, Jamie Hunt, who has some some disability. It's not just, this is the disability. He right. would dig into who's Jamie Hunt as a person, what are her passions and her hobbies and her interests. Mm -hmm. And so it just goes beyond educational content being really inspirational. Yeah, yeah, that's important. That's one thing I noticed about Hadley's story that you sent me is, um, I was expecting it to be more about the struggles that she was having, but it really was just like, this is part of who I am. Um, but, but really here's like all this other cool stuff that I did and, and, uh, you know, where I found my place on campus and things like that. So I thought that that's a good, I, I almost like breezed over it when I was listening. I had to like go back and be like, oh, there she talks about like struggles and it was so normal, you know, yeah. to me, it was just sort of like, you just naturally absorb it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that so. that's kind of the goal. And I think that if, if people are listening to this who want to tell do a better job of telling the stories of people with disability keep that in mind like you're telling the story of the whole person right and their disability isn't their whole identity and it's not the only thing that's interesting about them or yeah. compelling about them tell the story of the person we are all interesting people yeah we're all more than what we can or can't do and you mentioned earlier, and I, and I think we breezed over it a little bit, but like the tokenization of, uh, yeah. of, of people with disabilities in our content. Um, what are some ways that you would suggest that we be sensitive to, like, how can we avoid someone feeling like the token person in a wheelchair or something like that? Yeah, I think the good news for marketers is that there's so little of it happening that I don't know that someone in a wheelchair would immediately jump to, I'm the token person with a disability. The way that I think particularly like maybe 15 years ago or so, it was like we have the same African-American student in every shot because <laughs> yeah. we want to look diverse, but we aren't yet or whatever. But I think, again, keeping in mind showcasing them as a person, uh, if you're talking about somebody in a wheelchair um, or with some other assisted, assistive device, is the focus on the device or on the person? Mm -hmm. Is it is the story about the device or is the story about the person using it? Um, so I think that that's one way. Another thing is, you know, don't just call your disability service office and say, "Can you send me some people in a wheelchair?" <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I want somebody who has an interesting and compelling story. I thought maybe you would know somebody who 
maybe has overcome some sort of challenge, be open to invisible disabilities and needing to tell that story in a different way rather than through photos um, because they have a, you know, a assistive dog or other assistive device. Um, and I think letting people give you honest feedback might be the most important thing. Um, I would suggest if you're new at, at doing this, potentially looking at um, producing the story and then soliciting the feedback of the subject before you publish it, which is not something we do all the time mm -hmm. with every single thing that we create, but it gives you a chance to kind of learn, oh, you know what, we don't use that kind of language around this disability so that you can yes. fix that. Yes. Or, you know, like people first language. It's not an autistic person. It's a person who has autism or whatever. Fill in the blank there. But giving, that, giving them that opportunity to give you feedback as you learn how to tell stories in a more authentic and less tokeny sort of way. Yeah, it, it reminds me of I, my aunt um, growing up had a, she was a little person and she had um, was this rare genetic disorder. So she had some other disabilities as well. Um, but just like, I always got to be the, the, the one that like pushed her in a wheelchair. Cause I was like the smoothest over like nice. going, but so I felt very like, that was always like John's job was like, John gets to push Emily. Um, but uh, I remember um, just I, feeling so defensive of her, like out in public and stuff like that. And, and seeing how like um, careless use of words uh, really hurt her. Um, like when people said midget, for instance, oh, like yeah. it's like such a, I don't think people realize that that's a hurtful way to say it. It's just in, in pop culture, like that's just what is said. And um, it's just one of these, those types of people that um, it's like they're, they're typecast into roles specifically for that and what what just grinds my gears is like the fact that they're typecast into a role that pokes fun like their only purpose is to be made fun of in the yeah. narrative you know yeah yeah it's really you don't see a lot of film or tv about little people where it's not about the fact that they are a little person right yeah. like it's not about it's not just like oh by the way they also yeah have this condition it's like that's the central fact of who they are right yeah 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 so i mean i i am constantly um growing in my use of like words like that and my wife is very good at like saying oh no you can't say that you know you can't say that <laughs> right. anymore uh so she's taught me a lot uh as a social worker um but uh but yeah i think getting feedback is great is a great suggestion because i think that we don't we don't realize how we come off. I think we all need that feedback in a non-judgmental way to know that like we're all we're all learning and the language is always shifting. Like it's yes. always some I used to do homeless outreach. Uh that was like my primary role at United Way. And now um I had a guest on my show who I used to work with work with and she was referring to, you know, what we used to do together as um unhoused people. And I was like, right. oh, Oh, that's new since I was, uh, yeah. <laughs> since I, since I, it was always homeless when I was, uh, working in it. So it's always shifting and it's always important to, um, to have people in your corner that, um, can give you some of that feedback. A hundred percent. Another great resource for that feedback is your disability services office, um, that they can, 
even in your casting, if you're like, I want to cast, can you help me do it in the most sensitive way possible? You know, they have that expertise. And I have found that they are hungry, 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 hungry to use it. Mm-hmm. They want to hear from us. They want to be thought about by our marketing offices, to be thought about in our communications and on our website. So, you know, call that person up and get a cup of coffee and befriend them so that you can get their input on on things like, this is how I want to cast. This is This is the type of students I'm looking for that kind of thing, they can make that more sensitive. Yeah, that's awesome, I love that. Um, my third AI question, we actually already covered. Uh, talk about how diversity isn't just skin color. So yeah. um, I think we're good there unless you have any other uh, <laughs> The robots anything. are smart. They're very smart. <laughs> I, I I love it so much. And I, I volley between ChatGPT and Claude. Um, and I find that they are kind of just helpful in, in different ways, but Claude is like, I'm working on a presentation right now on on how Claude helps me be a better storyteller and a better interviewer. Um, and it's just, it's become just instrumental to, to my workflow. You know? I have not played around much with Claude. I might have to dive back in and explore. It's explore great. It the, the benefit of Claude. So we're going on tangent here on this episode, but I think it's welcome. We all, yeah. we, we've done AI episodes on here before, but Claude does a great job. And actually Bart Kaler, um, from the higher ed marketer podcast turned me on to it. Um, it does a much better job than ChatGPT at analyzing long text documents. Oh. So what I use it for in this podcast is I will take this whole episode with you, Jamie, and uh, get the get the transcript made, put it into Claude, and then have it write my show notes, have it write, um, pull out like what are emotional kind of like good snippets for social media. It'll give me the time codes in the wow. transcript. It's like, it's the entire thing, like... Podcasting is a is a very tedious can be a very yes. tedious process I'm sure <laughs> yes, as you know <laughs> yeah uh, and that's why like so many people drop off you know at like the third episode it's like ninety percent right. of people drop off at the third episode because it's so much as you think it's just like oh I'll interview some people and put it up it's like no you got to write show notes you got to find the links you got to find the guests you got to do you know yeah. like all of this stuff so yeah Claude has been an amazing storyteller help and I and I use it kind of in conjunction with with chat gpt chat gpt is kind of um kind of more my like hey, I have a question can you give me an answer about this or can you help me ideate about this but claude's a little more like analyze this big long thing and let's pull out insights from it i oh i absolutely i hate writing my show notes like don't tell my <laughs> producer but i it's just torment to me i don't know why um it is and i've been trying to use chat gpt but I, it doesn't analyze my full transcripts my show my episodes are like an hour long and it's like, this is too long for too me long. to do anything with. Like, yeah. Cool. Cool. Thanks yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah. I know. I got so excited when I found Claude and I was like, oh my gosh, like the first time it spit out show notes for me with links to the person's <gasps> to the person's LinkedIn profile, their email, everything they mentioned, their Twitter, if they mentioned their Twitter handle, links to the, the, the episode that I'm... Um, posting uh this wednesday it was just me talking solo episode i did i mentioned a few different case studies it pulled up the links for those youtube videos um without me going to find it now granted all the links were bad (laughs) So, (laughs) so i i you know it's a it's getting there but the but the but what it actually did help me do was go oh i forgot i talked about this 
thing that I need a link for. And that's what's super hard about writing show notes is yeah. you don't remember all the details of the conversation. No, no, it's it's painful. It's my yeah. least favorite part of being a podcast host. It's <laughs> yeah. the show notes. I would say like um, fifty percent of the time, it gets it gets the the like the the social media handle links right, um, but it'll at least give you a format to go like here's all the things you need to say in your show notes, and here's at least placeholder links that you can. <laughs> That's, I'm checking this out tonight. Yeah, okay. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, let me know if you have any questions. I I'm like super passionate about it. <laughs> I I have five episodes I'm recording in the next three weeks. So I need, I need help. <laughs> I can't do all of these show notes. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we'll give Claude a task here. Where, where can, um, people connect with you at? Yeah. Let's see so if it gets I, your link right. <laughs> right. So I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn now. Um, Jamie Hunt, my, I, my parents blessed me with the unusual spelling of Jamie. So it's J-A-I-M-E. So I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on Twitter at Jamie Hunt, I-M-C, J-A-I-M-E. Um, there as well. Um, I'm still calling it Twitter because I refuse. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I have haven't had anyone on this show that that um, doesn't refuse to call it Twitter. No one, no one naturally <laughs> no. calls it X. Mm -mm. <laughs> I'm not here for it. Um, and then I, I started a, a TikTok, the higher ed CMO. So you can find me there as well. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing. Um, feel free, people listening, to reach out to Jamie if you have questions about. Uh, anything related to what we talked about today or just to connect. Uh, but Jamie, thanks so much for being here. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you. Thanks for listening. Three things I want to give you before you go. Number one, reminder to sign up for my free weekly newsletter all about creating content that resonates emotionally with your audience. And you can do that at unveiled.tv slash newsletter. Unveiled is spelled U-N-V-E-I-L-D. Number two, if you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone. Share it with your team, your boss, your dog whatever. And if you're not already subscribed, I'd love for you to do that. Uh, number three, reach out to me. If you have comments, questions, you want to talk about a video project, whatever. My email is john at unveiled.tv. John is spelled J-O-H-N. Or follow me on LinkedIn. If you're searching for me, my last name is spelled A-Z-O-N-I. That's all for today. And I look forward to catching you on the next episode of the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast. Thanks. Thanks.